Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. I've got another uh, news show for you this week. We've got a couple really big stories I want to cover for sure. Uh, the ones you probably actually saw in the news as well. We're going to talk a little bit about Cloudflare's eighth birthday and some new technologies they're releasing. Uh, we're going to talk about 50 to maybe 90 million Facebook accounts that may have been exposed. Also, Facebook got caught uh, doing some things with your, with your information that uh, we didn't think they were doing, but honestly shouldn't be surprised that they've been doing. Uh, and finally, uh, some hubbub over Google's latest Chrome browser and uh, some liberties that it took with your uh, privacy, let's say. All right, first up, I just want to give a quick shout out to Cloudflare. We've had uh, John Graham coming on the show, uh, gosh, I think three times now. It's always so much fun to have on the show. And they just celebrated, or they being Cloudflare, his company, just celebrated their eighth uh, anniversary. And they've been doing some really great stuff. And I'm really happy to see some of the things they've been working on. Uh, they had several announcements this week, actually, about new technologies they're releasing. Uh, one of them was called, it's a highly technical name, ESNI, for Encrypted Subject Name... Oh, I'm going to get it wrong. Uh, it's not important that you understand what the SNI stands for. But basically, we've talked on the show uh, about how even though your connections to the servers that you're talking to, you get on your web browser or on your phone, and behind the scenes, they're going out to connect to these servers, amazon.com, google.com, whatever. The connections between them are getting more and more encrypted every day, which is fantastic. Uh, the amount of encrypted traffic on the web is just skyrocketing, particularly since the Let's Encrypt uh, initiative came around, which is just wonderful. However, in terms of privacy, there's still a lot of metadata floating around. It's so they, while they can't see what data is being exchanged, uh, they can still see where you're going and how long you spent there, what time of day that you go there, and how often you go there, all these kind of things. And that's called metadata. It's data about the data. And so whenever you do go to a website, when you try to go to Amazon.com, under the covers, what your computer does, it doesn't actually, you know, go out to the internet and say, hey, I've got a package I need to deliver to Amazon.com. By package, I mean a packet, a little datagram going out over the internet. First, and it, computers don't talk in those addresses. Humans do. That's what those addresses are for. Amazon.com is a human address. The computer address is what we call an IP address, an internet protocol address. And you've heard of that term probably. So certainly if you've watched any cop shows, because they always talk about tracing the bad guys with their IP addresses. Uh, those are computer addresses. And uh, it's a number like a 10.1.5.32, that kind of thing. That's an IP address. So when you go to uh, Amazon.com, the first thing you got to do is figure out, you got to map Amazon.com to Amazon's IP address, which is the actual IP address of the server that you want to talk to that's going to serve up the web page that, you know, for cat toys you want to buy, whatever. And the, the process that does that is called DNS, domain name service. And that, along with some other aspects, I don't want to get super technical, but some other aspects about looking that up, where you actually have to, where your computer has to figure out where to send that information, that request to, um, is not yet fully private. Uh, and one of the things that is uh, that hasn't been private is this SNI, which is kind of a again I don't want to get too technical, but when one you know one actual physical computer, one IP address, one destination can actually hold and and, and represent more than one web address. Uh, Amazon.com is a bad choice because it actually has many 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 servers, but for smaller sites perhaps. Um, and because of load sharing and all this sort of fancy stuff they do in the back end of the web that you don't need to know or care about, um, they shuffle things around. And it may be that uh, when you're going to Amazon.com and Google.com, maybe it's actually going to the same physical computer. But when it gets to that physical computer, that IP address, 
uh, it actually has to go to, to different places once it gets there. A uh, common analogy is usually like you know, sending a letter to somebody at a college or sending it to at an apartment building or a, a company. You, the, the main address is just the company, but somehow they've got to actually route it to the person within the company, and that's done separately. Anyway, the technologies, the ways we've come around to make that work, basically still let anybody along that path know exactly where you're trying to go. Uh, and Cloudflare has come up with this encrypted version of that, which is really quite clever, and they're trying to get this passed as a web standard um, so that we can all have this, and they've this week announced that they have implemented a, uh, their version of this to you know to kind of avoid the chicken and egg problem of not <laughs> something out there not being able to support it, and you want to do it. So they've basically said with their services, they're going to offer this new encrypted SNI, which will give you more privacy. So there's still a lot of holes to plug in the internet and the way things work. It just wasn't really built with privacy in mind. But, um, and I don't want to beat this over there too much more, but just trust me when I say that Cloudflare is doing some really great stuff. Uh, and this is for their for their eighth birthday, basically, this week, they've announced some really cool technologies and this encrypted SNI being one of them. So thanks to Cloudflare and uh, we need more stuff like that out there. All right, next up, and this is just kind of breaking, actually, as I'm recording this, there's been another big data breach, and this time it's with Facebook. And Facebook is saying that anywhere from 50 to maybe 90 million of their users uh, may have had their data uh, or, or profiles, their accounts, exposed to hackers. Facebook notified users about a data breach, and it's not clear exactly which users are affected. However, Facebook did say that those they thought were affected, they automatically logged them out of their account. So if you went to Facebook on Friday and say, hey, I was logged in, what happened? And, it, and you were kicked out and you had to log back in, it's quite possible that you this was the reason why. So there were two aspects to the problem. Uh, one of them had to do with what they call their view as feature. And that's kind of actually a neat feature. It basically lets you go to Facebook and if you're worried about privacy, if you've got all your settings set, but when you're logged in as you, you can see everything about your profile. And you might want to say, well, I want to know what other people see. Like if I set my stuff correctly and I log in, I want to see what you know, somebody who doesn't know me sees about my page. Or I want to see what only my acquaintances see when they come to my page. So they had this view as feature, which is kind of nice. So you could basically tweak this thing and say, okay, show me my page as if I was somebody else. Uh, so, but that feature um, apparently has, uh, they had changed something recently, or actually, I think that one was like a year ago. They changed something about that feature a year ago and just realized that somehow it allowed ha uh, other people besides you uh, to exploit that feature to then become you and be able to do, basically, they could log in as you. As long as you were logged in, they could be logged in too and do, I guess, presumably, presumably <laughs> anything on your account that you could do. So, you know, that was kind of scary. And then the other thing that was related to this, and I think that's why they're estimating 40 to, they're 50 to 90 million, because I think each of these might cover different scenarios and different sets of subscribers. Uh, the other feature they said, I guess has a similar bug, is their login with Facebook option. So if you've ever gone to a web page and a uh, brand new place, and they always want you, of course these places always want you to sign up and create an account. Uh, but some of them say, well, you know, you don't have to create a new account if you don't want. You can just log in with Facebook or log in with Google. And for a lot of people, I'm sure that's a very convenient way to go. And of course, what that means is you've now established a relationship between, let's say, Facebook and whatever this new site is that you're going to. And they have, I am sure, as part of this agreement, data sharing, so that now Facebook knows everything you're doing on that site as well. So it's this is still kind of unraveling, and I'm sure I may have more of an update for this uh, in, the, in, the, in the future. But 
as a precaution, Facebook logged everybody out that they thought might be affected, uh, which I guess kills this whole session uh, hijacking opportunity. Uh, but what we don't know is how many people actually may have had this happen to them, you know, who may have been poking around your stuff and what they may have been doing. Uh, I'm sure that we'll get more news on that as things unfold. Uh, from your perspective, all you can really do, if you want, you can you can roll, log out of uh, Facebook yourself and log back in just in case they missed some other cases and didn't get to you. Uh, if you want to make sure that you're not going to have a session hijack situation, you might want to log out and log back in. Uh, they say that you don't need to change your passwords, um, but you know if you're using a password manager like I've said you should be doing and you got LastPass, it, it's easy to do. You might just want to go change your passwords. Uh, can't hurt. Moving on. Facebook made the news for yet another not good thing, and uh, it just this is this is a privacy thing, and you can probably tell by the the heavy sigh that I just this, these things just drive me crazy. So there was an article in Gizmodo about this, and let me just let me read a little bit from this article, and you'll you'll understand what we're talking about here. So from again from Gizmodo, it says. One of the many ways that ads get in front of your eyeballs on Facebook and Instagram is that the social networking giant lets an advertiser upload a list of phone numbers or email addresses it has on file. It will then put an ad in front of accounts associated with that contact information. A clothing retailer can put an ad for a dress in the Instagram feeds of women who have purchased from them before. A politician can place Facebook ads in front of anyone on his mailing list. Or a casino can offer deals uh, to the email addresses of people suspected of having a gambling addiction. Facebook calls this custom audience. Facebook is not content to use the contact information you willing, willingly put in your Facebook profile for advertising. It is also using contact information you handed over for security purposes and contact information you didn't hand over at all, but that was collected from other people's contact books. A hidden layer of details Facebook has about you that you've that I've come to call shadow contact information. This means that the junk email address that you hand over for discounts or for shady online shopping is likely associated with your account and being used to target you with ads. Uh, I paraphrased the article here a little bit, so there's this isn't the full article. I didn't want to read everything, but I, let me keep going out with a little bit of paraphrasing uh, here. It says, Researchers at Northwestern and Princeton Universities did a series of tests that involved handing contact information over to Facebook for a group of test accounts in different ways and then seeing whether that information could be used by an advertiser. They found that when a user give Facebook, gives Facebook a phone number for two-factor authentication or in order to receive alerts about new logins to the user's account, that phone number became targetable by an advertiser within a couple of weeks. So users who want their account to be more secure are forced to make a privacy trade-off and allow advertisers to more easily find them on the social network. When asked about this, a Facebook spokesperson said that, quote, We use the information people provide to offer a more personalized experience, including showing more relevant ads, unquote. She said users bothered by this can set up two-factor authentication using their, uh, without using their phone numbers. Facebook stopped making a phone number mandatory for two-factor authentication four months ago. The researchers also found that if user A, who we'll call Anna, shares her contacts with Facebook, including a previously unknown phone number for user B, whom we'll call Ben, advertisers will be able to target Ben with an ad using that phone number, which I call shadow contact information, about a month later. Ben can't access his shadow contact information because that would violate Anna's privacy, according to Facebook, so he can't see it or delete it, and he can't keep advertising it from using it either. So once again, it's just something that is really awful, but unfortunately also not surprising. Basically, Facebook, I mean, like Google, is an advertising company. And all these things that they give away for free are just tools for them to 
get more information about you and they do it in whatever ways they can possibly do. And there's really two, like there's two aspects to this are just really just shady, right? I mean, so you, you want to be more secure. The way they originally did that in Facebook and the way a lot of companies still do is they say, well, give me your phone number and then we'll use that for two-factor two authentication. So that if you log in with your username and password from someplace I don't recognize, we'll have a, we'll have a second layer of protection. We'll send you a text message with a PIN code, a one-time PIN code, and you have to enter that as well. So that not only does somebody have to know your username and password, they would have to have your mobile phone in order to log in as you. It's a security measure. You didn't give them that phone number because you wanted that as part of your contact information. You gave it to them because that was the only way they could send you this two-factor code. Now, they have, four months ago, finally got with the program and had come up with better ways to do that because SMS messages really are not the best way to do two-factor. There are too many ways that can be hacked. It's better than nothing. Um, don't get me wrong. But um, uh, one-time PIN codes using Google Authenticator and some of those other kind of uh, apps are way better. Anyway, the point is, you gave them this number kind of in confidence. It was meant for security purposes, not for advertising purposes, and yet they used it anyway. That's bad. But what's really crappy is that if, as part of working with Facebook, you gave them access to your contacts, and I, I want to say that on Android, I think part of the permissions they ask for is connection to your contacts. So basically, if you use, and maybe iOS too, I don't know, but if you give them access to your contacts, your address book, any of the information you have in there, and it's not just like first names and email addresses and phone numbers. How many people put other things in their contracts? Look at the notes area, birthdays, um, all, you know, other numbers, private lines that you know that you would never give out publicly. Someone's got a private cell phone or a private work number or uh, an email address that they're trying to keep clean. They don't want to get a bunch of crap stuff there. Well, if in this case, in their example, if Anna says, "Oh yeah, I'll give you my contacts," and and it's usually under the guise of, "Hey, let us help you find other friends on Facebook." And the easiest way to do that is just share with us all of your contacts and we'll go through your contracts for you and we'll identify the people that are on Facebook and put you in touch. How convenient. Well, what they're also doing is once they've matched that up, once they figure out, oh, you've got a contact in your address book from Bob and I know that Bob's a Facebook user. Oh, hey, there's some numbers in your contact list for Bob that Bob hasn't given us. Hmm, well, now I'm gonna associate those with Bob and now when the advertiser says, I wanna reach all the phone numbers in this area, or uh, for he's got Bob's contact from some other way, Facebook's going to be able to target him with ads now too, even though Bob never gave Facebook that information. All right, let me go to my last story, and then we can sum all this up, all, these, all this up with some tips at the end about bad actors. Okay, so Google. The other, if, if, if Facebook was the 200-pound gorilla, Google was the 1,000-pound gorilla. You know, we've Facebook's just the one that's been getting caught. Google has so much more information on us than Facebook does. Uh, it's it's really scary, um, and I'll I'll tell you. We, a couple weeks ago, we talked about this, right? We had an interview. Where we talked about Google and getting away from Google, and I I have now been inspired uh, not by this next article, by this next story I'm about to give you, and then other reasons too. I'm just I need to extract myself from Google, and it's going to be hard. But anyway, I'll get to that toward the end of the show. Let let me do this last little news article, then we'll wrap up. So Google has a web browser called Chrome. Uh, if you don't know, uh, you probably do, but just in case you don't, uh, the Chrome browser, the most popular browser on the planet, is made and run by Google. Uh, and they released uh, version 69, uh, I think just a couple weeks ago, and every time they release, of course, it's got brand new features. Um, 
it was created 10 years ago. Google Chrome uh, was, at the time, needed. It was great. It was an open source browser, which was kind of unheard of. And back in, you know, 10 years ago, uh, Microsoft's Internet Explorer dominated everything. And they got in real trouble with that in Europe and some other places for basically antitrust kind of things because they forced everybody to use it on, on their machines, uh, which, you know, Microsoft Windows runs most of the computers on the planet. Anyway, so it was at the time, it was a welcome change and, and we all appreciated it. Well, over the years, you know, Google being who they are, um, they're an advertising company. And while Google has done some really, really laudable work in the area of security, and they've used actually, they're the, being the dominant browser now, they've used their leverage position to kind of push a lot of reluctant people into more secure things. You know, the adoption of HTTPS was uh, something that Google's been pushing really hard, and that is undeniably a good thing. Um, but, you know, all the great work that they have done in the realm of security just stands in stark contrast to their work in the realm of privacy. It's just night and day. Um, you know, Google's an advertising company that gives away tons of free services that allow them to show you ads and collect as much information about you as they can. So think about it. Google owns the most popular search engine, browser, and smartphone operating system. These services have the following market shares in that order. 88%, 60%, and 78%. They also own YouTube in Waze, which you may or may not know. If you listen to a, our interview um, with Daniel Davis a couple weeks ago, you would know that. Um, but let's not leave out you know, other things. Google Docs, Google Drive, Google Maps. These are all extremely popular services. And if it's not clear, they also make Chromebooks, which uh, on some level, from a security level, they're great little cheap laptops. Uh, just from a privacy level, they're just a nightmare. So every single one of these services tracks you and collects information about you, your location, your contacts, websites you visit, emails, and on and on and on. So as you may be aware, Google lets you, uh, if you use the Chrome browser, Google lets you log into the browser itself. You can, you know, as you launch Chrome, you can actually log into Chrome. Why would you do that? Well, the main benefit of that is because they also have this thing called Chrome Sync. Uh, so if you have multiple devices, which most of us do, most of us at least have a computer and a smartphone, let's say. But if you're like me, I, you know, I've got computers at work, I've got multiple computers at home, I've got several devices, um, tablet, you know, you name it. And so, you know, if you're, if Chrome was my browser and I was using that everywhere, it'd be really nice if every one of those browsers kind of looked and felt the same. So Chrome Sync you know, allows you to synchronize things like bookmarks, uh, your favorites, uh, you know, what tabs are open, your passwords. If you have Chrome save your passwords, you can sync those. Uh, and your browsing data across all these devices seamlessly. So if we, when you leave one computer and go to your phone or go to another computer, it, everything is the everything is there. All the all the things you want, the information you want access to is on all these devices. They're all kept synchronized. So of course, I mean, if you think about what the mechanics of that must be, that requires that all that information be stored in Google's cloud services. So Google has all that information. And that, of course, allows Google, and of course, they take advantage of this. This is why they offer these services. It allows Google to inspect all of that information and add whatever information they find there, whatever they find interesting and all that, um, to their profile on you. And, you know, you can try to limit this, of course, by default, almost everything is opt-out, not opt-in, which means by default, they're on. By default, they collect this stuff, and you have to go find the settings, decode the language that they use that tries to make it sound beneficial, uh, to you, not to them, uh, when the reverse is almost always true. Uh, and 
and then they warn you when you turn these things off. Oh, but if you turn this off, you'll lose this and you'll lose that. And so they really try to get people to leave these things on and by default they're on. And so you've got to go find these settings and the settings change over time and their privacy policies change over time. It's, it's a, it's a real pain in the butt. Um, but then this, this week comes along and there's a guy named Matthew Green. He's a researcher and a cryptographer and a professor at Johns Hopkins University. Great guy. Love his Twitter feed. He does some really great work in crypto and uh, exposing, you know, exposing bugs and helping us try to make the world a safer place. Um, anyway, he wrote this article last week when he found out what was going on with Google's latest version of Chrome. And he says, and the article's titled, Why I'm Done with Chrome. A few weeks ago, Google shipped an update to Chrome that fundamentally changes the sign-in experience. From now on, every time you log into a Google property, for example, Gmail, Chrome will automatically sign the browser into your Google account for you. It'll do this without asking or even explicitly notifying you. However, and this is important, Google developers claim this will not actually start synchronizing your data to Google yet. Your sole warning in the event you're looking for it is that your Google profile picture will appear in the upper right-hand corner of the browser window. After conversations with two separate Chrome developers on Twitter who will remain nameless, mostly because I don't want them to hate me, this is, this is Matthew Green talking, uh, I was given the following rationale for the change. Quote, note that it doesn't turn on sync. You still have to explicitly opt into that. The goal is to resolve a problem people had. People logged in as account A in the content area, but syncing as B and bad confusion would ensue. Unquote. To paraphrase this explanation, if you're in a situation where you're already signed into Chrome and your friend shares your computer, then you can wind up accidentally having your friend's Google cookies get uploaded into your account. This seems bad and sure we want to avoid that, but note something critical about this scenario. In order for this problem to apply to you, you already have to be signed into Chrome. There's absolutely nothing in this problem description that seems to affect users who chose not to sign into the browser in the first place. So if signed-in users are your problem, why would you make a change that forces unsigned-in users to become signed-in? The Chrome team has offered a single defense of the change. They point out that just because your browser is signed-in doesn't mean that it's uploading your data to Google servers. Specifically, while Chrome will now log into your Google account without your consent, following a Gmail login, for example, Chrome will not activate the sync feature that sends your data to Google. This requires an additional consent step. So in theory, your data should remain local. This is my paraphrase, again, Matt's paraphrase. But I think it's fair to characterize the general stance of the Chrome developers I spoke with as, without this sync feature, there's nothing wrong with the change they've made and everything is just fine. This is nuts for several reasons. For 10 years, I've been asked a single question by the Chrome browser. Do you want to log in with your Google account? And for 10 years, I've said, no thanks. Chrome still asks me that question. It's just that now it doesn't honor my decision. The Google developers want me to believe this is fine since I'm still protected by one additional consent guardrail. The problem here is obvious. If you didn't respect my lack of consent on the biggest user-facing privacy option in Chrome and didn't even notify me that you had stopped respecting it, why should I trust any other consent option you give me? What stops you from changing your mind on that option in a few months when we've all stopped paying attention? The fact of the matter is I've never even heard of Chrome's sync option for the simple reason that up until September 2018, I had never logged into Chrome. Now I'm forced to learn these new terms and hope that the Chrome team keeps promises to keep all my data local as the barriers, barriers between signed in and not signed in are gradually eroded away. 
the Chrome Sync UE is a dark pattern. There was actually a much longer article for Matt, and if you're interested, I'd, I recommend you uh, check it out. I'll put the uh, I'll put the link to the article in the show notes. Um, I think he's got a really really good points here, and I think these are things that are often glossed over, especially in the media when these things are covered. Um, they make it sound like it's you know maybe a tempest in a teapot. Uh, and you know because they said oh well yes we logged you in but we didn't start syncing your data so everything's fine. Again to Matt's point they did that without asking you and they they've, and they basically if it was a two step process if I had to it you know well now it is it so I log into Gmail and then automatically automatically Chrome the browser logs me into their service as well but doesn't go that extra step to turn on the sync option. What's to prevent them from changing that in the future? And then he had, Matt in the article actually goes on to ask some other questions too, like, okay, so if all that data is now being kept local and then I opt into the sync, does it only upload the stuff since I started the button then turned on sync? Or does it actually, because it's been storing everything locally, does it go back and also sync everything I have been doing? That's a kind of a key point. And it's just not clear. And frankly, I don't think, honestly, Google wants it to be clear. That's the dark pattern. And man, I, I've been throwing that term around a lot lately. I know that's because I've been trying to get somebody to come on the show and help me kind of delve into the topic. And maybe I'll just have to do it myself. But I'd love to do an interview on that. So um, I'll see if I can make that happen sometime soon. But the, the idea of a dark pattern is that it's, it's a tricky way to get you to do something that is not in your best interest, basically. It's in their interest, but they're trying to get they're trying to convince you that it's in your interest. And, and some of the things that they do are to make these things the defaults. You know, just like when you go to sign up for a newsletter and these check boxes at the bottom say, oh yes, also send me marketing stuff. Oh yes, also include me on something else. Oh yeah, also let me share this with something else. And they're all checked by default. Uh, when you go to sign up and you gotta look for these things, try to find them all, uncheck them all because you know that's not really what you want. Um, that's a dark pattern. Another dark pattern is to make it really easy to sign up for something, and in many cases, actually doing it without asking you or do it by default, with it, uh, and then making it really hard to undo it. That's like a gym membership, right? <laughs> it's, it's really you know, they're really good about getting you in. They've got the great sales job that make it sound wonderful, and this is so good. Oh, yeah, don't worry, you can get out at any time, not a problem, you know. And then when you go to cancel your contract, oh yeah, I would love to do that, but we can't. You see, you signed this, 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 and this, and because of that, I can't really do that. Or if I could do that, I got to charge you an early termination fee. Uh, or you have to write a letter to so-and-so in triplicate and get it notarized. You know, it's these are all examples of dark patterns. And these companies that are bound to determine, Facebook and Google in particular, but there are others, that are bound and determined to get your information and keep it and be able to share it with whomever they wish, um, are using these dark patterns to get that information from you, to keep it from you, to, to, to make it, to obfuscate what they're doing with that, uh, to be, let's just say, less than transparent about it. Uh, about what they're doing with it. So that brings us to the tip of the week. And it's actually it's several tips that I'm going to kind of walk you through here. And it's just kind of ways that you can help protect yourself and uh, and limit this as much as possible. So uh, first of all, don't use login with Facebook or login with Google or any of those kind of buttons when you're, when you're presented with that. If you go to a website where they say, well, you've got to sign up for an account or you can log in with Facebook or Google, A, just back away and <laughs> just say it's not worth it. Or if you're going to sign up, just sign up for your own personal account. Give them, give them a junk email address. Uh, generate a crazy password with your password manager. Because the last pass, there's just there's really no reason not to. You don't have to remember the password. You don't have to remember your login information. Let it remember it for you and generate it for you. So 
because when you sign in with when you sign in with Facebook or Google, what you're really saying is, please track me some more. Um, and these guys, these guys have got too much of that already. So next, uh, never ever give access to your other accounts uh, in order to find friends. Um, Yahoo used to do this to me all the time, and it drove me crazy. You'd sign, you'd try to go with something to Yahoo, and they'd put up these banners and say, "Hey, just you know, give us your Google credentials and let us." go through your Google contacts to find more people that you might know or whatever. I'm sure that they all do this in different ways. Um, but they want your contact information. They want your address book. And as we've seen in this article um, or in, in, in the news that we talked about, Facebook, and I'm sure Google does this too, and Yahoo and all the rest, uh, when you give them access, they're not, they're not just looking for names and mat matching people up and saying, oh, here, here's some other people you know they're using this service. You know, you're welcome. Um, they're fine. They're, they're trolling through that information. They're combing through it and pulling out every last detail they can, saving it off. And if you don't stop access to it, they continue to have access to it. And if you think about Google, I mean, if you give someone your Google credentials, it's not just their address book you've got access to. It's, it's your calendar. It's your email. It's your documents. It's, uh, it's maps. It's, it's your search history. It's potentially all sorts of information. So you got to really be careful what you're doing in particular. Just don't, you don't need to give access for stuff like that to help find other friends. All right, next up, don't use Chrome Sync. Um, it, it just, again, it, if you're signing to do this, you're signing into the browser, and now basically you're saying, Google, sit, sit behind me, put a camera behind me and a microphone, and watch everything I do on the web browser. And that is our access to the Internet. The, the web browser now has become the portal that we all use, that we all think of the internet. There's a lot of people that use Google and uh, the internet interchangeably. And there's no surprise because so much of what we do today is done through the web browser. And to give Google, they've already got, they already know so much about you. Uh, and to give them full access to everything you do within that browsing experience is just too much information. Uh, there are other things that you can do to sync bookmarks. Um, for instance, if you use Firefox, I do use Firefox sync for bookmarks and only for bookmarks. And you may be able to configure that in Google as well. It's just that I trust Firefox with information way more than I trust Google with that information. And maybe that's naive. But if nothing else, at least it spreads things around a little bit, compartmentalizes things. So better yet, just don't use Chrome. Uh, I know it's extremely popular. And for security reasons, it's actually a great browser. They've got some great security features. Uh, but Firefox has got a lot of great security features too. Um, if for some reason you don't like Firefox, there are plenty of others you can look at. There's one called Brave. I actually haven't played with it much, but it's supposed to be a privacy-oriented browser. Um, they do have some sort of weird relationship with advertising networks that I need to look into. But um, personally, just Firefox and use some privacy plugins with Firefox and only these privacy plugins. Don't don't get plugin happy, which we talked about uh, in a recent episode, uh, because those plugins also have access to a lot of information if you're not careful. And, and just like Google Sync, uh, you could be sending all sorts of information to who knows where. Uh, so anyway, Firefox, great browser. Uh, I think it's every bit as good as Chrome. Uh, and then just make sure you add some privacy plugins, like uBlock Origin, not uBlock anything else. Make sure it's uBlock Origin. Um, privacy Badger from the EFF uh, and DuckDuckGo Privacy Essentials. Uh, those three are probably the main ones that I would make sure that you have installed uh, when you're using Firefox. And lastly, which is something we should all be doing periodically, um, go back and look at all your various settings. Uh, relevant to the things we talked about today, uh, go into Facebook and Google and look at 
uh, any apps or services um, for which you've logged in with those things, um, you have to poke around a little bit and find, it's usually under web apps or something like that, where you can see what other applications you have given authorization to, uh, to either log in uh, using Google or Facebook, uh, or applications that you said, you know, Farmville for Facebook, some of these things, the fun little games that people wanted to do with you that maybe you did once and forgot about. Uh, go in there and make sure you haven't left them in there because if you did, they still have full access to everything that you gave them permission to access, you know, years ago, whenever you actually gave them that access. Remove them. Uh, or at least go through and make sure that everything is that's in there are the ones you absolutely need. And finally, review your privacy and uh, your marketing and your advertising settings. Uh, they have different names for them. They change them around. They keep coming up with euphemisms. So, you know, look for things like personalization or enhanced experience or... Uh, those kind of things where they try to make you know all these customizations sound like it's for your benefit, which you know if I guess you could argue in some ways they are you know do you want to see if you're going to be looking at ads would you rather see ads for things you care about? That's usually their argument. Uh, and well, in order for me to give you ads you care about, I need to track everything you do so that I don't bother showing you ads for things you don't want. Uh, that's a trade-off I'm personally not willing to make. So, um, and who knows what else they're doing with that data? Unfortunately, we don't have a lot of laws and regulations in the United States around this uh, yet. Um, and until then, Google and Facebook have both shown, unfortunately, that they have not been using that data in your best interest. So uh, until we can get to the place where we can trust them with this data, I would say don't give it to them. Or don't give them any more than you absolutely have to. Uh, and, you know, I'll, I guess I should follow up with the last rule and, you know, quit them. Uh, quit Facebook. Uh, I did. And I have not looked back. Now, granted, I wasn't a big user. I'm sure it'd be a lot harder for most people. Uh, people, There's a lot of social benefit to these things. It's just a shame that they're ruining it for all of us by milking us for data and using it for, as far as I'm concerned, nefarious purposes. Um, these services are not free. Um, the product is free. You're the product. Uh, and then Google. Uh, I've used Google faithfully for many, many years. And I've honestly really enjoyed it. Their tools are great. They do some really good stuff and they're free. It's hard to, you know, it's so hard to be free, but they've, Google, I don't know if, how many of you are aware, but Google's, one of the original charters of Google was do no evil, um, which, you know, very Silicon Valley startup kind of a thing to do back in the day. And I'm sure the founders believed that at the time. Um, they have actually since removed that from their charter. Um, and it shows. As far as I'm concerned, so uh, it's going to be a long, drawn-out process, and I'm actually going to try to document a lot of it. We talked about some of this in the interview a couple weeks ago, um, but I'm actually going to try to document this in a series of blog entries. Um, I'm all up in Google. I I fully admit it. Now I've I've also moved on to Proton Mail and Fastmail and some other services that I've paid for, um, and I use those as well. Um, but now it's actually time to just stop using Google, stop using Yahoo. I've already stopped using Facebook. Um, and if you're interested in coming along that uh, journey with me, uh, I will keep you posted on that, and I will start posting, hopefully, uh, blog articles. I'll, you know, there's email, there's docs, there's calendar, there's maps. Uh, there's so many different ways that we use Google that I use Google, uh, and I'm going to have to find some replacements for them. And uh, so if you're interested in that, I will keep you apprised and uh, tell you how you can do it, too. And that wraps up our show for the week. Uh, I've got some more interviews coming in the future, trying to line those up, some more interesting topics. Uh, I'd love to do those, so uh, looking forward for those. And, of course, uh, I'll keep you up to date on the things going on and let you know how to protect yourself, you and your friends and family, and uh, not just security, but privacy. So, to that end, 
my third edition of Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons, the book that started this whole journey for me, is on sale. It came out just a few weeks ago. It's a really big update to my book. It's uh, it's, it's gotten getting bigger every time. It's getting more comprehensive. Uh, it's just I'm really I'm really proud of this book. So uh, if you've already got one, maybe if you, certainly if you got the first edition, I would you you need to get the uh, more updated version. But it's also just a great book to, to buy for people. If you know people are just kind of getting into computers, uh, it's good for uh, kids too, especially in high school when they start really getting into uh, doing things on the internet on their own without maybe without supervision. Uh, they start to get to the point where they're making decisions for themselves, getting their own computers, and they want to set them up. There's some great tutorials in the book. I've got all sorts of steps for everything I tell you to do with pictures and step-by-step instructions, and I try to keep the jargon at a bare minimum. This is really for everybody, and, it, and, and I honestly, when I was first writing this book, it was like for friends and family that, that I was thinking about this, because I get these questions all the time. As an engineer, I'm kind of like the family IT guy, so I basically realized that there wasn't a book out there that covered this, at least not the way I wanted it covered, and so I wrote the book, and so I encourage you to check that out, and if you like it, recommend it to others as well. You can also follow me on Twitter. I've been a lot more active on Twitter lately. I've, that's kind of where I do the more up-to-date stuff, the minute-by-minute. Minute. I try to check that uh, on a daily basis and retweet or tweet about things that I think uh, my followers will want to know about. So you can check me out on Twitter, and you can also uh, go to my blog. I try to do that every couple weeks or so, and you can sign up for my newsletter as well. A lot of times the blog and the newsletter uh, coincide, but if you'd like to have them automatically delivered to you so you don't have to seek them out, uh, send that out every couple weeks as well. So check out the newsletter, check out the blog, check out the Twitter, and of course, thanks for listening to the podcast. And if you like the podcast, if you like any of these things, recommend them to others. Spread the word. Help me find some other people and reach other people. Again, the more people that understand this stuff, the more people that uh, can protect themselves, the safer we will all be. So uh, I'll leave it there. Uh, As usual, everybody, stay safe. And uh, until next week, don't get caught with your drivers.